Hello and welcome to The Culture Brokers, stories from 1.5 generation immigrants. In this series, we explore the unique experiences of individuals who immigrate to a new country before adolescence. Each episode will discuss different themes relevant to this demographic as they navigate through life while trying to understand what it means to belong to different cultures. For this episode, we sat down with Mofi and Eniola to talk about their experiences immigrating to Canada as first-generation Nigerians. What I loved about this conversation is how much I learned about the differences in their immigrant experiences in contrast to the scene or mine. For anyone who's listened to our previous discussions, I think you'll notice a subtle but really important difference in the way they remember and reflect on their immigration journey in comparison to us 1.5 gens. Understanding and bridging the gap between the experiences of diverse groups has been such a big part of what we wanted to explore on this platform. So having them on here to share their stories so thoughtfully and so openly was truly special. This is our season two finale, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. I will go first, because I'm guessing any is not going first. <laughs> um, so my name is Mofi. Hi, I'm so excited to be on here. I've been waiting for when I, when I would make my culture workers. Uh, um, appearance. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, but yeah, I'm from Nigeria. I moved to Ni- I moved to Canada about 10, 11 years ago now. And even thinking about it in such like large numbers is so shocking for me because I remember coming here uh, really young at 16 and, you know, not having a concept of even like immigrate like for me at least in that time it wasn't about immigration it was mostly just that like my parents were like yeah you're gonna go to school in Canada and it's like okay cool not cool I wasn't really happy about it uh because (laughs) you know so like then Canada was not like a major destination for international students you know it's over like in the past couple of years um and how Canada is now framing its immigration that more folks are looking to come here but a lot of the um destinations were like the UK and and the US uh so when I knew I was coming here I was like oh really like I don't know anything about that place um, but not really thinking about being here beyond my education. I never even conceptualized that idea, which looks different now, I can imagine, for so many international students. But back then, it was just education. So being here for 11 years now and going through like the different um, immigration processes, it feels like a mindfuck all the time, if I'm being honest. Um, it feels like I'm here, but not really here. And you know, I did a presentation recently and talked about how I don't really like identifying as an immigrant and it's such a complex position to hold because when I think of immigration and think of, you know, settling and, and the settlers, the white settlers that came and, and stole this land, it almost feels ridiculous to not like acknowledge my positionality in all of it. While at the same time, I'm like, the notion of being an immigrant is also like, it indicates this permanence or it indicates this like move. And I never want to accept that like, I've made this move to Canada. So that's like, that's how I'm situated right now. And I think this is so deep because like, this is like, those are like the the questions that I'm asking myself right now at this stage in my life. Like, you know, is this where I want to be? Do I want to be anywhere else? while also go actively going through the immigration process and, and staking that Canadian citizenship. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I live in Kingston, Ontario, so not the most <laughs> thrilling place. I wonder how that also impacts, like, experiences and identities depending on, like, where you live and, and where you're situated as well. Okay. okay. Um, my name is Who I'm a content creator and a fashion designer. And um, I moved to Canada in 2003. Um, I was like a teenager and I came here for my final year of high school. And kind of like, I'm also from Nigeria. So kind of like Mofi said, we didn't really see Canada as like a final destination. I knew I was coming for school, but I thought that I was going to probably moved to the States or the UK after. For a lot of people, that was sort of the final destination. Canada was just maybe the easier way or the cheaper way tuition-wise to get there. 
And I also moved here with my sisters. So, well, one of my sisters, the other one was already here. So for me, it was kind of like, it, it just like the same way in Nigeria, we were going to boarding school and it was always my first, like my older sister who would go to a school first or start a process first. My younger sister and I were just kind of like doing what she did. It was like, oh, she went to Canada. We're going to Canada too. And um, I actually never, you know, even after like undergrad and then like um, doing the whole postgraduate work permit thing for three years, I never bought furniture or saw myself as someone that should, like I never, there was no, there was never a sense of permanence. And I, for me, it was, I kind of, I used to call myself a pilgrim. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm never going to settle anywhere. And then I moved to LA um, three years after undergrad and I was there for seven years. And then I moved back here in 2018. Um, but it's, my, my move back was very different from my initial move here. And I remember like even when the, I because when I first got here, you just couldn't get your PR after college. You just couldn't, it was extremely difficult. There were all these rules and laws. You had to, um, if you were in a major city, they would only give you one year work permit, but you had to have like a good job. It was just hard. Um, but when I graduated, they now had this whole thing where you could get your postgraduate work permit regardless of what you studied. And then after that, if you got, if you did a job, that qualified, it was almost guaranteed that you get your PR if you had the hours you needed. And I just, you know, for me, I remember even the process. I was dating, well, now married to an immigration consultant. Then I was just dating him and he asked me like, so are you going to apply? And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't think I'll qualify. Just in my head, I just didn't think it was something that could happen. And um, I remember the night before I applied for my permanent residency, I'd, added, I'd actually left and moved to LA. I, I filled my forms. This wouldn't surprise you guys, but I filled my forms the night before. <laughs> I pulled off an all-nighter. And it was because I just didn't think it was something that was real, like to be a permanent resident of Canada. It was like, that's for people that have families and children. And yeah, it was just a very interesting way of seeing it. But um I didn't get it obviously because I'm yeah I, yeah I didn't have enough hours or whatever. But now I am a permanent resident. Actually, I qualify for my citizenship in five days. But um, it's so interesting that it was until I got married to him because he he was a Canadian citizen that everything just sort of made sense to me and I started seeing Canada as home. But long story short, I I moved here when I was seventeen, but I never saw Canada as home until I was like in my 30s. So that's my short intro. Well, not so short. <laughs> One thing that just stands out right off the bat is how much more practical your kind of like stories or your recap of immigration to Canada is in comparison to Tassina and I's. Um, and I can't, like my bias right now is like, there, this has to be a first generation versus like 1.5 generation thing because you guys like, actually had to engage with the system you actually had to you you're actually aware of how the uh kind of like occurrences that led to you being here had to do with like a government's immigration policy like how open they were how um supportive they were throughout that whole experience whereas with Tassina and I it was like we woke up one day and our parents were like yo we're going and then the next thing we knew we're in the school being like oh I want to they're just like, you know, like I want to build friends and my identity here. So it was just like a very different starting point. Um, something I'm curious about for both of you or either of you is, um, do you, this idea of like not really ever having like a sense of permanence here with Canada, like, do you think it has to do with the fact that you're uh, like family members, you don't have that many here, is it as simple as that? Or is it also got to do with the, host society and how it how it how compatible you feel with it or how welcoming it was towards you like do you have any sense of why that sense of permanence just never I guess like came that's a that's a really good question I think it could be I think it's a almost like a plethora of of all of those for me um on some level I think he also even just started with 
the arrival process and kind of similar to what Annie had said that like thinking of going through a process of permanent residency, especially even maybe as a single person, you know, in, in some ways, like our, our belonging is also attached to like family and communities and things like that. And um, not thinking about like shifting the status to, to a permanent space without having those pillars that, that really identify that really signify belonging. So for me, I think on one level, it's that my I don't have my none of my family, like I have extended family, but none of my like immediate family live in Canada. And um and also I think a removal from my key community pieces. Um as I kept as I kept growing older, I think I would move cities as well. So that just really continued to position me in always in this like transient state, um, where what I'm used to is like almost a continuity of of community. Um, yeah, so so I think that's really what it is. I can relate to Mofi's response uh, as well because so. Before I came here, I was actually in the UK with my sisters and there was a big like family like dispute over whether my sisters and I could come to Canada because my entire like mom's side, they all lived in the UK. They all went to school in the UK or Ireland. Like you couldn't go further than that. And so my mom wanting her children to come to Canada was like, like everyone went into a state of panic. It's like everybody lives in the UK. Why do you want to go? somewhere else it's too far you need two flights it's you know it's 20 hours from Nigeria 15 hours so so like yeah I think it was it had to do with the fact that I didn't have family here I really I also didn't enjoy going to the college I went to it was just mm-hmm. I just didn't see this as a society that I would want to live in I'm like it's too cold and like it's finding African food is just impossible and um and, um, you know, everything, even getting your hair done for a Black person is impossible. And too many things meant something different here. So if I, for example, I was, I was used to UK lingo. So I was, if I wanted chips here, they would give me chips in the bag. And I was talking about fries. And, like, it, it was just too much. I'm like, how am I supposed to, like, just adjust to this system I didn't understand it was just too much for me at the time. I the, I couldn't wrap my head as a teenager around the idea of just settling in a new country. Also, the way that I grew up seeing people settle, they did it as a family. Like it would be like a family application, so the whole family would do it. So I, when my mom would say, "Oh, are you applying for your permanent residency?" I'm like, "But how? Like my sisters are not here anymore. Like why is this important?" I, were a unit. So I just couldn't envision that. I also think there was a sense of privilege as well, because the people who I knew that were staying, some of them would either be like the really privileged ones who had lawyers taking care of everything for them, or they would be the ones that if they could, they had nothing to go back to Nigeria to. I felt like I had a lot to go back to Nigeria to. I felt like I had opportunities. I felt like um, I had the connections to be in certain spaces. And so for me, I was just like, I don't need to be here. Like, I don't need to be in Canada. So that was, those are some of the factors that influenced whether I would stay or not, or whether I felt like I belonged here. I really like that you talked about that aspect around food any because I think like last time we had our last guests we were just talking about how oftentimes things like food is used as such a superficial marker of whether or not let's say a city like Toronto which you know fairly cosmopolitan folks will be like oh Toronto is really good to live in because you know the food there's diversity and food there's diversity and this and that but I see how there's like a two kind of there's two ways to view it. Like, A, yeah, like when you see a food that's familiar to you, like it's instantly one of the most comforting things. And that's why I think a lot of like university campuses, they try and foster that with their like, quote unquote, international student cuisine, right? They try to make some sense of like home 
and curating that experience so folks can eat something that they've missed. And I think that's really important. But I also wonder, like, when I think when institutions do something like that, when they have the food or they have like a culture day or they have a flag somewhere on the campus, it's like a checkbox of like, okay, look, like we foster inclusion here, right? But there's no one way, I think, to actually let folks feel at home, especially when they're not at home. There's nothing that can replicate true home. And I think both of you said something and I underlined it It was like belonging is often identified with family. And I think that's where when we talk about 1.5, we're talking about, okay, you know, there's so much that has happened here that was confusing because the whole aspect around 1.5 is that there's like this cultural transmission that happens during your early childhood where you have some sense of belonging to where you come from through your family through where you were born or but then you also come here at a really young age and you kind of just because of the vulnerability of age in itself you sort of do things and you accept certain things just as they are without really any critical thinking because you're so young and so so much of it is like rooted in this desperation to fitting in when you're older when you're coming to do your last year of high school which you've done most of your high school in Nigeria and you have all your friends and you have your memories, then you come here and you're like, what the hell, this is whack. Like you you noticeably are able to feel the absence of the certain experiences. And I think that makes people rightfully so more critical. It makes that struggle for belonging a lot harder. And I want to ask you both, like what is your diasporic experience of belonging? How do you identify that now versus like when you were younger because that I'm sure that same desire to fit in still happens you know 16 17 like it's still pretty core because we all want to belong right and then you're uprooted into another environment and like any you said you used to spend summers back in the UK and that in itself is such a different experience to even explain like how are how are you spending your summer right like what does home mean what is what does summer look like when a lot of folks summer, some people go back home, right? Like some people spend their summers here, um, an absence of home in many ways. And so there's a lot of different ways of that. But like, did, does that make it more confusing, like more ambiguous to identify yourself? I struggled with the concept of like describing myself Um when I learned about the concept of the other in school, it I, I, that was finally one place I felt like I belonged to um, because I was spending a lot of time in the UK. I would call it a second home, but I wasn't even a citizen. I was just going there because my family lived there and it was just where I stayed for holidays. Um, and while maybe some people thought it was a luxury for my family, that was the cheapest option for spending my holidays. And being able to actually see each other or one another. Um, then I actually, my when I moved here, I never went back to Nigeria until my final year. So that was also tough because the what I where I considered home, I wasn't even going back there. And then being in Canada, I definitely didn't see it as home. So I remember even when I would be in class, and people would say, So where are you from? I would go, uh, okay, what what answer do you want? Because it's like, I, I'm i from kind of a lot of places and I, it depends on what you want to know. And also the idea that back home, like back in Nigeria, when people ask you where you're from, nobody cares if you were born in the US and you have an American passport. Your identity is by blood and there's nothing erasing that. So this concept of saying that I'm from Canada because I lived here just, it couldn't make sense to me. So for me, I was Nigerian and I still identify as that for the most part because, again, by blood. But that whole like identifying myself, where do I fit? It was really hard here because I, I was even trying to wrap my head around the fact that I could be Canadian because I was living in Canada. And even sometimes Canadians would tell me, well, you live here now, so... You're Canadian now. And I'm just like, you have no idea. Because even when I say I'm Canadian, then you guys will say, but where's your family from? Because I'm Black. So it was it was complicated, extremely complicated. And when I moved to LA, it was even more complicated because I was, I was Canadian too. And then 
it was just hard for me to explain. But the identity that I usually just fall back on to make things easier for myself is I just say I'm Nigerian because I'm Nigerian by blood. And that's the one that I just, when I feel like I'm being pulled in different directions and I just want to feel grounded, I just say I'm Nigerian. I was like, I've never met a Nigerian that doesn't <laughs> want to say they're Nigerian, though. <laughs> I was dying. I was like, hey, Nigerian by passport? Like, what are the other Nigerian by? <laughs> It's such an interesting question and hearing it from your perspective is is really interesting to me, especially on the lens of like not going back home until like your last year. Because for me, I went back home mostly every year that I was in Canada. And I remember my first year um, when I moved here and I actually didn't want to go home. Like it was a question for me. You know, the first time you're out of home, you're like anything not to have to go back to that place. And I remember my mom, like, it's almost so vivid, like, texting me and being like, that is not our plan. And, like, <laughs> her, it's, like, every single opportunity you get to be, like, back here, you're going to do that. And that, like, positioned me in a way where I did not feel like I was here. Like, it almost felt like I was just going to school here in Canada. And my home was actually, like, my home in Nigeria, you know, because like that was the agreement that, you know, me and my mom had um, that I never was a part of. So like that was how I was so connected. But at the same time, like then I still had like, you know, high school friends that um, we would hang out, I would hang out with. But as I got older, like you begin to see the distance, like you begin to see how your lives are almost so different. Like even if they're the same, like even when I'm home now, I hang out with some of my friends, but there is like my life doesn't feel the same. I'm like, I get so jealous of seeing people like develop their adulthood um, in Nigeria, like as young Nigerians, because I feel like I'm developing this adulthood in Canada and I don't feel like I'm not, I'm not a Canadian and it almost like positions me in this weird way. Um, And I remember the first time I stayed in Canada for holidays for Christmas, it was so miserable. Mm -hmm. I hated it. I was like, never doing this ever again in my life because all the tenets of what like I guess Christmas was I just wasn't getting it here the energy just felt so different um so I think about like that home and and to the point of like even just connecting all of this to some immigration process in the sense that as an international student or as a student you have to keep on proving to the government of Canada that you're going to leave <laughs> like, that, you're, like, that you're not staying here until you become a permanent person you have to always prove your connection back home so it's so complicated for many folks or it could be complicated for many folks where that is not the reality like all of your presence is here like this is this is what you're building but mentally in some way there's so much like gymnastics that people have to do when when thinking of identity and home and now when I think of like my diasporic identity in some ways like I want to be so connected back to Nigeria and every time like people tell me I don't know if you get this any but like sometimes like Nigerians that are living in Nigeria they like try and question you or be like oh how do you even know that and I'm like I grew up like literally I'm from here bro like I'm Nigerian bro and when you get those little reminders I think it just puts in like some reality check that you are obviously I agree like you know we are Nigerian um and our bodies and minds and spirits are very much connected to those lands but at the same time, you're like, are you really though, bro? Yeah. Like, are yeah. you from there, bro? Um, but I really love what social media is really doing and, and what like internet phases and, and how communities are so connected right now and, and how you can very much be here and also very much feel Nigerian. And, and that could look like many, many, many different things. Oh my so. gosh. The first time I went back home uh, after I moved here, so my mom would just sort of joke that her Canadian kids were back, but that's normal. You know, parents would always do that and make a, make fun of your accent for changing. But the day that an outsider called me a foreigner, I had, like, I threw a tantrum and it was in public. I cussed him out and 
he was a driver and you know he just called he called me a foreigner because I wouldn't pick up some stuff in the trunk but I just was like I'm in a hurry and that's what we paid you for and he just said yeah this foreigner and I started screaming I didn't even realize that it would bother me so much because as much as I didn't feel Canadian there was a part of us and I'm sure it's that colonial thing where even though you didn't want to it was cool to act like you weren't thrilled by the Canadian identity but you kind of wanted people to know that you had the Canadian identity because it set you apart from the people that were homegrown. And that was the day I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I want that anymore because I was just so upset that someone would look at me with the way that I looked and call me a foreigner. But that was the day it also just dawned on me that, yeah, it's starting to show that I'm not homegrown and maybe I'm not so nice. Like, maybe I'm not as Nigerian as I think I am. Really um, interesting to hear you guys talk about this because uh, there's there's a term that most of you use that I think it just, like, it sums it all up for me, like, mental gymnastics. And I think that having moved back home in the last little while, I've learned just how much of the immigrant experience is exactly that. And that it never stops. I think that's the biggest shocker of my adult life. I thought there is an end destination. I've talked about this before, but there's an end destination. There's an end point to this whole like existential crisis you feel as an immigrant. But now I realize that it's just there forever. Um, it just takes different shapes and sizes. And I have a friend who recently texted me this tweet. I'm going to read it, but you can just like, she's Pakistani. So it says like, Pakistan, but you could just replace this, I think, with any other countries we're all from. But the tweet is, Pakistanis spend half their lives doing cost-benefit analysis between alienation of moving abroad and trauma of living in Pakistan. And I think that, like, sums up my family's experience being from Iran really well. It's it's a cost-benefit analysis. That's exactly what it is. It's, you know, like, here's some two really big I mean, more than two, but like to sum it all up, two really big different realities of like, be at home, be with your kind of like community and what feels home and natural, but then give up on all these maybe like economic opportunities or, and then uh, the contrast being, let me get access to that. Let me give access to that to my future generations, but then forever feel like a bit of an in-betweener or an outsider. Um, and the things you guys are talking about, about like going back home and then starting to notice that people are questioning you, whether it's like a term that you're using or like for me, I've found like sometimes people are surprised that I can, my like parents, friends are surprised that I can still read in Farsi. And I'm just like so offended by that. I'm like, dude, like first of all, I studied here until I was like in grade nine. I mean, at, until I was nine. And then I went abroad my mom, forced me to go to Saturday school, you know, like I know this shit, but just like them, you know, sitting in the taxi actually uh, in Iran, that's one of like the, the way you handle yourself. That's one of the biggest giveaways that you're not from here. You know, like there's just all these little subtleties in the way that you interact that kind of like give, a, give it away. And um, one, one thing I'm wondering though is, I still keep going back to the fact that I feel like this is obvious, like to see an iron of a different crew than you guys are, because when someone asks you here, let's say like, where are you from? You're like, okay, wait, like, you know, you have a thoughtful response. Like you're kind of like, you have a mature response. You're like, okay, like which part do you want to talk about? Whereas like with me, because I didn't really, I don't know. I don't know what, what it is, but it's like, it's, it's an emotional response. It's like, wait, why would you even question whether I'm from here or not? There's a sense of entitlement that I think I just have about me getting to determine whether I'm Canadian or not, that my parents or my sister who are all first gen, they don't have that. And is it good to basically question it forever and just sort of never fully be a part of one or another, or to go in a little bit blindly and like, demand taking up space as immigrants well, I definitely think the, the <laughs> oh, it makes total sense I actually think the latter especially because of the nature of how Canada um, was created um, I mean I think at the end of the day when we look at it from the indigenous 
Canadian perspective, then we know like all of us are settlers in a way, not in a way, all of us are settlers if you think about it that way. But once you look at it from like how the settler colonialists like took over and like othered everyone else but themselves, even othered the indigenous people, then in that sense, I feel like the res responding to that white supremacy and saying that, no, this is my space too. Um, you know, I actually think that is, it's, I've had to put on that mask a few times and it actually really felt good. And sometimes you, um, like, I feel like you're questioning this system that now has changed what it means to really be from here. And, um, you know, saying on one hand, they're saying, oh, everybody is from here. Once you live here, you're born here. But then they question you when your your skin is a different tone or um, your, your parents have an accent or they, they hear an accent, then they start questioning you differently. So in that sense, I do think there's some sort of empowerment in being entitled um, and saying, no, this is, this is just me. I'm not anything else. I'm Canadian. I agree. I think that entitlement, you know, in the context of how Enya has also set it up, I think that um, when when fighting that that white supremacy, the racism that comes with it, like I'm like everybody should be entitled. Like honestly, even in 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 the owning of Canadian identity, and sometimes in in also in the disowning of Canadian identity as well. Like I think that you know, there's a lot of power in either saying, yes, I'm Canadian and that's it, period. Or no, at least for me sometimes, I'm like, no, I'm not from here. Like, I'm not from this shit. Like, the, in the ways that you've made people feel othered, like, it's also, it's also nice to hear that, like, what you're trying to do is actually not working, <laughs> you know? Um, but, but I do think that, I, I think that folks should be entitled, especially with, with the challenges that migration, not challenges, but you know, in, in, in the multiple layers of, of what you have to process when, you, when you're when you as a migrant, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't know, I just think, I think that that entitlement is, is important to hold on to uh, depending on the situation and the context. It, I wanna to touch on this idea of like privilege and this whole claiming of Canadian as well, because I think it's so interesting to me how folks who have that like nuanced experience can want to take it on and off, right? Like there are times you don't, I don't want to say I'm Canadian. Like at, that, at this age now, like that whole hyphenated thing, now I'm like, oh, I'm Bengali. I'm from Bangladesh. And people are like, oh, really? Da, da, da. But I know some folks who, who like Annie said, who depends on where your family is. So a lot of people, they've left, right? Like they've, they've migrated on that permanent level through many reasons and let's say their whole family lives in Canada now they want to say they're Canadian because this is really where they feel like they've established themselves and they don't have anything back from where quote-unquote they came from and there is a lot of like layers of privilege depending on these experiences because sometimes that diasporaness like it there's like wealth there's social capital that's not always shared and i remember like meeting i saw a tweet the other day too because we love twitter and we're always out here quoting twitter um this tweet my brother sent to me it was like in you know of course in the context of bangladesh but it was like bangladeshi diasporas will be like visiting the motherland is so fun if you have 15 insanely rich cousins all around your age who take you to the most expensive places in Dhaka, right? Which is the capital city of Bangladesh. And we died because it's true. Like for a lot of folks who are going back home, they're like living their best life because they have access to drivers. They have access to help. They have access to cousins who are like making money, who are taking to the golf club for lunch and the first time I ever went to the country club in my life was in Bangladesh. Not that I've ever been to a country club in Canada um, or even would even have, you know, membership to one. But in Bangladesh, my cousins have access because my in the city that my mom comes from, it was the first place I ever used to go swimming. It was the first place I've ever had like lunch at a country club setting. I thought we were so bad and bougie. Like I loved it. I used to love like that access. And, you know, I a few years ago, I went to a wedding and, a lot of the folks from that circle were quite 
wealthy and very privileged and I didn't have a great time because I was with my friend who, you know, we both of our families have worked really hard in Canada. And I think at one point they asked us like, why don't you guys, oh, you guys don't come back to Bangladesh. Like, why, why don't you come back? And they were so accusatory, like, like the sense of, oh, you've abandoned. And we were both like, we oh, it's expensive. Like we, our families couldn't afford to come back every year or every two years. Like it's a family of four, family of five. It costs a lot of money to fly from Canada to Bangladesh for, especially for a family. Like some folks are saving up for like multiple years to be able to do so. So that's why I haven't gone back. It's not because of abandonment. It's because of like financial, you know, limitations. And they wouldn't understand that because for them, like that access was, you know, as diaspora children of the world of themselves, they were educated in, you know, the UK or America and they'd always go back home or they'd travel on vacation somewhere in like Europe or, you know, like it, it was just, it was a really eye-opening experience for me at that time. Cause I remember being like, I never even thought about it this way that yes, like we're Canadian by privilege of that passport for sure. And it comes with a lot in itself and borders are imagined. And that whole thing is like really mind blowing to me, but the privilege of, let's say the passport line at Bangladesh airport, where the foreign passport line is fucking one eighth of the of the national passport line like it's wild Mm -hmm. the moment of privilege you feel like oh i feel so good being in this nice short line because i just flew 15 hours it quickly can disappear when you're back into the space and then you're seeing like depending on who your cousin is what car they're driving where they can take you that will shape your entire experience of what it's like to go back home and then i can imagine for some folks who've never had to interact with that of course they want to say they're canadian and they, cause they should say that with like, with I think the word entitlement like is perfect because they their families have staked a lot to be here, and there's probably folks who are shaming them for abandonment or whatever back home, and they don't even know what they're speaking on, and so I think that can create this like resentment. In Bangladesh, there's a word called jeed, like you want to be here by stubbornness because you want to claim it with like a clenched fist because it's taken a lot to get here. You know what I mean? So I think that's just an interesting like caveat too around like folks who feel privileged and entitlement because that belonging like and that sense of belonging and how you have a good experience with, you know, being back home can look so different for so many different people. Yeah. And also like I think on so many layers as well, like I think of people that are queer, like I think of so many people that like going home as well is not like it's not accessible in that way. And and, and the complications of being able to identify um, and, and the freedoms that people experience, like when you travel and you're able to just go home and live your life. And for so many people that's not the reality so even the choice of staying in Canada it's complicated right because are people really choosing or are choices there and you know you have to you have to you have to select what works for you based on your identities as well um so I think about that a lot um too when I think of like you know always being like yeah I'm going home and things like that but how like for so many people, the privileges look differently depending on how you are situated. Definitely. I worked um, in an immigration office for about a year um, before I moved to LA. And even the concept of Canadian was so different for a lot of people. Um, we did mostly refugee cases. So it was also interesting for me to see what being Canadian meant for a person who literally had to fight to get here versus people like us who just felt like, eh, I'll do the PR if I, thing if I want to. Because for a lot of these people, there was nothing for them back home. And they would say whatever they had to say just so that they wouldn't have to go back. And um, for people like that, even though really and truly culturally, they didn't feel Canadian at all because... Even they they considered me more Canadian even than they were in the sense that they saw me working in a law firm and you know I had already picked up Canadian mannerisms and and 
Canadian accent. They were fresh from Nigeria. And so they sort of looked up to me as like what they would want to be like in a few years. And I wasn't like that enthusiastic about being a Canadian officially. Like I mean by citizenship or, you know, um, through my immigration documents. But they were like, I would die before I leave this place without this. And it was so was such an interesting um, thing to see. I think that is also a thing where, let's say like the wealthier kids who are like, like I'm talking the really wealthy Nigerians who never struggled and um, with anything and even had maybe dual citizenship before they came here. They also had a sense of like Canadian because they had homes here. I think I remember reading an article that sums up exactly what we're all talking about here, where basically, I guess the author is proposing that the middle class immigrant is the one that gets crushed because the ones that are very fortunate have exactly like what you're describing, like all the opportunities to go in and out, to flow in and out without that kind of like stress. Um, Usually, especially like, and I can speak for Iran at least, but uh, when you're that well off, you get to bypass a lot of the injustices in society. And then the, by contrast, there's the uh, not I don't want to say like not lower class, but the ones that are like coming not through the economic path through refugee status or through like really they they don't have a choice. Um, they are it's easier for them to not use. No, that's not the right word, but it's more straightforward. Like the answer is obviously to be here where you can actually have like access to equal rights. Um, whereas in somewhere in Iran, you'd be like prosecuted. So then it's the ones in the middle that are just kind of stuck in between and not really sure what the right path forward is. And this, like for me, uh, I always go back to it because to this day, we've been here for 18 years. I catch my, actually 19 years now, I catch my parents sometimes being like, yeah, you know, like still kind of wondering if we did the right thing here. Like pretty sure we did, but not, not certain. And I think that's insane. Like, I think it's crazy to think that you could invest 19 years into a lifestyle or a country and still not feel like you got it. But what I'm really like kind of like learning about more recently is how much your own like community or your diaspora ends up shaping that conversation for you. So I feel like it may be up until a year ago or six months ago, a lot of my like education was about um, how the Canadian society receives Iranians. But then in the last little while, just spending so much more time at home, learning so much more about my, my parents and aunts and uncles and how they, how they think and function. I've now learned just how much like the Iranian community is impacting their experience or the Iranian like politics is impacting their experience. So to give you an idea Um, there's elections coming up in Iran in a couple of months and it's just been like kind of a shit show leading up to this because of major human rights abuses um, you know so much like going on the diaspora of like abstaining from voting because it just doesn't make any sense to support such a like violent regime all that stuff and so what follows that is this experience that I've noticed in the community that's like oh thank god we're here and it's, I guess, educating me a little bit as to why I, I always felt a bit of a disconnect between like um, when I had these conversations with them, because I didn't really go deep into that. I thought more like of all the ways that we're not being treated right here. Um, and that was taking up more of my time and time and attention. So this has just been a very like kind of like informative experience for me. And what I'm wondering is, I think there's so much you two can maybe like so much insight that I'd be curious to like learn from you guys as to um, what that feels like for you having immigrated at an older age. So do you feel like, uh, first of all, I'm not very like knowledgeable as to Nigerian diaspora in Canada. Like, is it a big community? Is it very cohesive? What has your experience been like? How have they assisted or like not assisted in your integration process here? I, I was pausing initially because I was low-key just trying to hear Annie's, Annie's point of view um, on this. <laughs> For me, as somebody that's like, when I went to university, all of my networks were 
mostly Nigerian. Like up until when I moved to Kingston, which was about five years ago, a lot of like people in my immediate friend circles or like in my communities were mostly Nigerian. And I think that also impacted how I saw myself and how I understood my identity, even while I was in Canada. Um, but now like living in the, like in a different city where there isn't that much of a Nigerian like diasporic community or like I'm not really like engaging with um, Nigerians within my day to day. It doesn't it doesn't really shift my identity that much just because of how it has been situated. But I do notice a difference as compared to like when I come to Toronto mm. and half the people I'm hanging out with all the time are Nigerian. And I think that even does impact like my well-being and my wellness and, and things like that. Um, I forget what my question was actually. Um, but I, I was just, I just, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about the Nigerian diasporic community in Canada. I think in some ways uh, it is like it's there, and sometimes it also feels like it's not there. Um, and I wanted to bother Annie a little bit for her thoughts, especially as someone living in Toronto, where there are like different like diasporic communities in the city. Um, what is your take on the Nigerian diasporic community? You know what? You're totally right. Sometimes it's simply not there like especially if you live in certain parts of toronto like like downtown it sometimes it feels like it's not there and everybody you're interacting with is not nigerian and it feels like to interact with nigerians you have to go up north um and even the fact that like there's no nigerian stores i think they once had one nigerian club downtown quote unquote downtown but it even like didn't last. So there's in that sense, like I think you could feel sometimes that the community is not there, but in the larger sense, like if there was an event happening, you, you would be like, okay, now we're here. <laughs> I remember some pool party. Okay, Mufi, I don't think you were there at Cabana last, like not last year, but the 2019. And I remember seeing thousands of Nigerians in that place and I was in shock. I was like, when did we become this many? And even when I was working my last job, it was in Mississauga. And I remember for like the first year and a half, I was the only black person on my route. And it was a very specific route. So you knew everyone on the route. Everyone that, not only did you know everyone on the route, you knew everyone that came on the bus at a certain time. So it, it was very uniform. And I remember last, like, 2019, like end of summer leading to fall, I started hearing like Yoruba on the bus. I started, um, there was a woman, she would always settle fights on her way to work with her mom and people back home. <laughs> and it was so fascinating. Another thing, a lot of people don't know I'm Nigerian because I, I guess sometimes people say I look East African. And so people will just get comfortable and start speaking Nigerian. And I understand two Nigerian languages. So people will just start saying all kinds of things. And I'll be like, oh my God, this is so much tea. But that had happened. And another person would be playing like Bob Risky videos on the way to, on her Instagram, on the way to work. <laughs> Which like, I remember when I came home and I said, something has happened. They have opened the <laughs> vault of Nigerians into Toronto. Because the, the, the number of Nigerians I was seeing just, everywhere like i remember even when we'd go to Saks, it would be like the the salespeople, like so many of them were nigerian we, my husband and i had to ask once we're like wait 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 how come there's so many of you here now and then we found out why <laughs> it was very capitalistic and exploitative but yes um so you know you get situations like so sorry back to i'm losing track now i'm getting excited about this but back to <laughs> back to um, mofi's question we're like feeling the Nigerian community. Um, I think that everyone sort of, again, that's also part of the immigrant life. We don't have the luxury of like, you know, seeing each other every day or trying to do things every day or even like enjoying our culture every day as like a group. We don't really have that luxury. So the, when we really feel our community is when we like gather or like, when something happens and we're all speaking online, that's when we really start to feel it as like, as a community, that's when we become aware again, oh, we're all Nigerian here and, you know, things like that. But it's, it's um, yeah, it, it, again, back to the mental gymnastics 
even in how we live live out that Nigerian identity is not always like at the forefront. Sometimes we're just so caught up in trying to make it and trying to work, get income, make sure we're not um, going back to asking our parents for money, uh, you know, like just getting caught up in this capitalistic rat race. And, and then other times you just sort of feel it more because now you're seeing the community physically. I want to say to that, Annie, like, I think so much of, you know, what you're describing, it makes me think of how, what folks in Canada don't understand, don't understand by how they approach integration, how they approach this term that we use, like terminology around transitioning and newcomerness is that so much of culture, folks don't want to necessarily be active in it, but you can be, you want to feel participatory and there's joy in just witnessing and not necessarily being within it. And what I mean by that is when you're describing like a subway ride or whatever, or, 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 or you know, your commute and you can see folks, you know, you can see someone that you understand speaking in, the, you know, your language on the phone. It's just that witnessing of that feels really good. And I think that's a huge part of like a lot of the conversations we have around this like unique positionality because I think sometimes like when I've seen like during either whatever like when I was living in Markham for a period of time in Toronto I would just like view people in like a street fair or whatever or like in front of the shops and I just seeing them would bring me a lot of joy but I'm not saying that I would be in the active like in the midst of it you know because when you're in too deep too, there's a lot of problematic shit that we see within our culture, obviously, like that goes without saying, right? And and that's the times that you're like, okay, peace out, I'm going to exit the space, right? But that witnessing of can be such a beautiful thing. And I want to like sort of just do a quick shout out to like the passing of just intergenerational identities as well, because... I think like growing up in Ottawa, what I used to see, I grew up around a lot of Bangladeshi people for a long time. Like my parents made sure of that. Like, you know, like me and Mana have both been in Saturday school. Um, my mom used to go to like, you know, these sort of like Sunday fairs and we'd always have to go to them. And I hated it because it would just bring out the worst in us, like as a community, in my, in my honest opinion, like there'd be times where all the stereotypes that we have, you just see it all in thriving in the same space, right? And now I'm like, wow, that chaos was beautiful. Like, I look at it now with this nostalgic, like, oh, how nice. But I remember being a kid, for, like, an example that always comes to mind that they'd always ask, like, children to go to the front of the, like, auditorium and, like, say a little song or whatever. And all the aunties are talking. Like, no one is there to care about these children. And they're all just talking, talking. No one's listening. There's, I don't even know why there was a program in, at all because really all it was was just like a congregation of people to just gossip and like, you know, very segregated. Uncles are on their own talking about politics and like just talking ish, but all, they've all left, right? Like no one's out here organizing for any political change, but they all want to talk shit about it. All the aunties are gossiping about their kids and what their daughters are wearing. All the girls are talking shit about like other. So all of that at that age, I was like, I don't like this. This is not my people. And not in like a, you know, in a, in a, just in a way where I was like, yo, I'm so happy that I'm like here and I have choice in that I can leave this space and I can go on like, you know, back then like MSN hop on and talk to like Emily or whatever and be like, yo, like, you know, what's happening? I didn't even have a friend named Emily. I don't know why that name came to mind, but I want to hear about this from both of your perspectives. And maybe we can kind of wrap around this area with like advice that you would give to like younger any younger Mofi around like, you know, little babies. Y'all came here so young, so potentially hopeful, little confused, maybe early frustrated. And I think a lot of the pull that I hear. And what Mana and I used to advocate for a lot for was like, you want to find your people, right? And it was it used to be very like earmarked by this belonging of your own culture. So like maybe, uh, a, a, you know, a community where there's a lot of Nigerian folks living, thriving within Toronto. But that in itself is not the answer. And so now I'm, I'm always taking a backseat to be like, okay, well, you know, kinship and like, what does that look like in chosen community, chosen family and like the various factors that come into that journey of like making someone feel safe, making someone feel like they belong 
what are your thoughts on that? And like, I think a lot of that is generational, like the same spaces that I would see all of these Bengali women, a lot of those women were first generation, the things, the values that they hold through a lot of things around religion, around conservatism, or like just various things. And even my brother and I had to go back and forth a lot between, you know, he's first gen, he, there's a lot more proximity, I think, to like certain values that have just been instilled within them that come from their our home country that they're a little less critical of. And I think mm. our positionality as like 1.5, of course, you know, if you're a second ch- born child, third born child, et cetera, those all play a role in how much we're willing to be like, no, that's fucked up. And I don't feel any, I don't feel bad calling that out for what it is because it is fucked up, you know? And, and a lot of that comes from, this process of integration where we've seen other possibilities of not only Canadianness as in settler Canada and like white Canadians, but also from each other, also from other cultures and being like, yo, that's how they do it. I've seen, I've seen folks from other communities being able to unlearn certain things. So I want my community to unlearn these things as well. And, and that advocacy for me now plays a huge role in how I see even within my quote unquote people, if you're Bangladeshi Canadian that have immigrated here, we might have very big differences because the values that you choose to like really stick on the ground and be like, this is it. I might disagree with that. And that a lot of that I think is generational too. So. Oh, I agree. That's definitely generational. And like Tessin, we've talked about how I've told you personally, listen, this might sound like an attack, and I'm sorry, I'm bringing my ammunition right Bring here. It. This is why I don't like Gen X. <laughs> I do not like Gen X. I find them extremely just disappointing. They're not cool. They're like very traditional and like they don't question anything and they don't um, understand intersectionality. They're very like one monotone in their politics and just very uninspiring. And you know what? I actually wrote a really small list like a really like simple like analysis um, using fashion to sort of differentiate between Gen X, Gen X millennials and Gen Z. So um, Gen X, I find them to like be the most, they're like Facebook, right? So they're fu- they were once functional, but now it's like, Where's the fun, right? What's going on? When are you going to get an update? And then I find Jen, I find millennials to sort of be like the, you know, they kind of do the most, but is it towards, like, what's the end goal here? Like, you, you guys are, uh, Gen X might wear like a classic shirt, but oh, it's pink today. And they feel like they've conquered the world. And it's like, the millennials, you guys are wearing so much makeup, so much everything, but like, where's this going? Is there an end goal? Like, what's happening? What are we achieving with this shit? You know, and then I find Gen Z to be like, you know what, we don't care. We're going to put it in our mom jeans, white to aesthetic, butterflies, blah, blah, blah. But I kind of think that they know what they're doing. So, you know, they, they know what they're doing. They look, they act like they don't care, but they actually care and they know what they're doing. And I just, I don't know, Gen X, they're like the figureheads of all the three groups and I don't really know what their purpose is anymore. So anyway, that's just my little drag of Gen X. You know, I feel totally betrayed by most of them and I'm not a fan. So yeah, let's just leave it there. And millennials will soon be like that if we don't, if we're not careful. Facts. Yeah. Millennials are like looking like that now. Like I see some millennial people and I'm like, wow, you're just like your parents, like literally no change. Um, You're just younger. Um, But there's something that was interesting that you said about Gen Z's and, you know, if in any way I think about, I forget what the earlier question was, but I I remember the the energy of what you were asking to say is that like, it seems like Gen Z's these days, they're just, they kind of are taking it like as it comes, like this is who I am, this is what it is. Whereas like with millennials, it's very much like there's an image that we're trying actively, even if Loki, everybody's, you know, trying to put up this image, millennials are so active about it and want to show like, you know, there are no shit or we're like 
you know, we, we we're woke, but at the end of the day, we're still operating in, in the same ways. Um, and when I think about like, I don't know, when I think about Canada and I think about like my parent, my mom and my parents always being like, you know, is it this Canada that we sent you to that is making you think like all of these ways or all of these things and thinking about, you know, identity and culture and so many things. I just think about how, you know, as and, and, and for us or for me as somebody that was also growing up and growing up in a different country as my parents, like one of my biggest fear each time was just being afraid of how much I was going to be so removed from what like what they knew was their culture and how much that is going to like either like shift our relationship or even shift my personal identity as being Nigerian like for example like when I stopped going to church like that was even to let my mom know was so scary because I was like it's just going to like change everything about our relationship but even also about like culture because so many things was were, were rooted in like culture and religion and how all of those like intersect um so I don't know if I think of like a little like note to like the younger me or even like me right now as like you know going through all of these journeys and transitions is just remember like reminding the self that like who you are is who you are like there's never been a past life there's no like there's no image of who you're going to be beyond like the life that you're currently living and leading and those aspects of culture where you know, the things that we take, as you said, Tessine earlier, and I even think of you, any of, like, I know you talk about it a lot as well, and, you know, the things that we take from our cultures and the things that we choose not to, like, engage with anymore, it doesn't, like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't make the culture less than or more than, it's like, that is how you're interpreting it, so um, I, I don't know, I just think about about that a lot, because I, I, I always remember my mom, like, questioning that and saying, like, this is not like this is not Nigerian. Like this is this is Canadian, and it's like no, it's very much. First of all, it's very much Nigerian because there are many Nigerians that are in Nigeria right now that think <laughs> in very similar ways. Like we're like there's no borders. All of this shit is fucked up. Um, but also like, you know, it's we create culture. So like it's our persons, it's our beings that create that culture. Um, so yeah. Mofi, isn't it interesting that our parents tell, try to tell us what is Nigerian, but they don't, they never seem to care about the culture other than speaking the language. Everything else, they've lived their lives completely trying to be like British or, you know, international, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And like just maintain a few performative aspects of the culture, you know, speak the language, eat the food wear some of the clothes when you were at like cultural events. Mm -hmm. But then like they'll start telling us what being Nigerian is when they don't even know what Nigerian is. They have no clue. The one time my dad was saying that to me, I was like, but you all like, you guys are Christians. Like, I don't understand. So you want to come down to like the fundamentalness of being African and being Nigerian. It's like, you've already failed. Like, right. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> and not only are they even into foreign religions, they hate and like advise against traditional beliefs. It's not even just like, oh, I've just, you know, found this new path that works for me. It's like a brain change for them that even our own like indigenous beliefs are evil. So I'm just like, how Nigerian are you when like, I have to teach you that Orisha doesn't mean demon. It actually means angel. Like, you know, so. I think that, like, the what you guys are talking about is um, and it probably, I'm going to go ahead and make this massive claim, but one of the best things of being, like, who we are and being immigrants is that you get exposure to this truth that, exactly as you said Mofi like there's no like like culture and identity is constantly moving it's not this like permanent frigid thing that's like set in stone and that's just you either fit the box or you don't every day every event um is culture is, is constantly changing what it means to belong to one community or another and I think there's so much 
freedom in that. Um, because when I think about like this idea of like what I would want my younger self to know or the next generation to know, um, or how I, I would like to combat this downhill kind of downward trend that millennials are going to where we're just like becoming old lame adults um I feel like the the way to do that is to communicate the fact that you gotta not try so hard to meet other people's definitions of things and just like trust your process and you know wherever you are whatever it is you're questioning whether it's about your first culture or your second culture like that's exactly where you need to be um and just kind of let let the process take over and take you where it needs to, you know. I love that. Mm-hmm. 